Hey Dragons, welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is a super special, amazing episode. I got to go to the Ferrigno Legacy October 29th in Palm Springs, California. And Lou Ferrigno did a very special Q&A session called Coffee with Lou. Uh, I did discuss it with the producers of the event and they allowed me to record the conversation so I get to bring it to all of you. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lou Ferrigno. Um, other show notes, please rate, review me on iTunes. Tomorrow is election day. Please go vote. Other than that, enjoy the conversation. Work out, nerd out. In the basement, rolling dice. Rolling dice. I'm a wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker. Fighting dragons in my mind. In my mind. Just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. And we're having this because uh, Lana and I have been friends for over 30 years. We want to have a nice, comfortable personal touch and have a good time because a lot of time we have competition, you know, you're taking patients running here and there, but I want to spend time with you people. So let's relax and have a good time, have some questions, and then uh, you, you ramble on. Yeah, you know, uh, I began writing for uh, bodybuilding magazines in the early 1980s. One of my biggest goals was to meet Lou Ferrigno. Now, some of you are old enough to remember The Incredible Hulk. Well, number one, the greatest movie of all time to me was Pumping Iron. That's when we first met him. He was the underdog against Arnold, and everybody was pulling for him, this young kid from Brooklyn. And then uh, the Hulk came out, and I used to, couldn't wait to watch it. And I said, God, get him pissed off. Get him pissed off so he can turn into this great monster, this big, freaky guy. And uh, had a, like a five-year run. Yeah, you know what's interesting? When we did the movie, uh, Popping Iron, I don't know if you know this, we all flew, I went to West France to get coached. So Arnold Schwarzenegger playing James Earl came, uh, I believe it was uh, to France. He took an airplane, not a jet, all the way to South Africa. It was like the longest flight in my life. And the best part when we arrived in South Africa, they had the best buffet I've ever seen. And unfortunately, we're eating like these fish and water and, and vegetables. And we took eat the food and we're hitting everybody on the buffet line because we're starving. We're getting an entire week preparing for the competition. And you know, you're dying playing for competition. You think about your next meal because it's a sacrifice, especially with the calories. But I remember we were there. It's just South Africa was beautiful. You know, so much fun for the dieting and the hard part. But the best part is that after the competition, uh, you know, of course, everybody goes off their diet. So Ken Wall and Danny Padillo, you know, the competitors of the show, after the contest, I was looking for them. I couldn't find them because we took a trip to the National Food and Game Farm. And I remember I walked around, I couldn't find it, so I went to the grocery store to buy some ice cream, you know, and they said, all the ice cream is gone. I said, we need your ice cream is gone. Danny Padilla and some guy with a red hand named Tim Waller bought the entire whole tray of ice cream. So I go to the hut, I find Tim Waller. He said, he's laying there like he's eight months pregnant. <laughs> and the other guy, Danny Padilla, laying on the table next to him, looked like he's nine months pregnant. They just ate all the food. But point that's what happens after a contest. You're dieting so hard and then you stuff your face. Were you, were you surprised at the success of that film as you were making it? Were you wondering, like, how is this going to go over? Because it was a huge success. It still looks at all following today. Yeah, I was very concerned about Ronnie because at the time, bodybuilding was not in the mainstream. So I was hoping that it would get a grip of the public that they would embrace the film. But I was shocked to realize when it came out, 
this has such a deep cult following. And if you play over and over, I remember at the time with the premiere, we had the premiere in New York City, and all of us get pulled on stage. But it never be duplicated because the beauty about pumping iron is the fact that we had no money. And I remember halfway throughout the filming, they almost went bankrupt. You see that in the documentary, they ran out of money. So all the bodybuilders, except uh, myself, I was in, in New York, they get told that the witness is being to raise money to uh, uh, to, to finance the film. But when Pumping Iron came out, it changed my life, it changed everybody else's life. It gave me the opportunity to get involved with the whole TV series. And men, women, even the young people, like Mama Papa, they learned about bodybuilding. Because before that, the only people that knew about bodybuilding were the hardcore bodybuilders that read the magazine. Now, I know that... Uh you had a major decision to make. I mean, here you're waiting for this Mr. Olympia title, and this role of a lifetime comes by, and you got to go tell Joe Weider, I'm not going to do your show next year. And they're going to see Yeah, I never forget it about six weeks before uh, for Mr. Olympia, and I was in the best shape of my life. I was going to compete against uh, Frank Danes, who was coming Mr. Olympia. And I was, yeah, I was, yeah, he's here, I'm bringing my best. So, anyway, so other, it's like I never forget we were laying down on the beach. You said to me you had a dream that there was a football and the football was in the air and somehow I think you wanted to catch the football and explode it. But the dream was really pertaining to the fact that going back, I had to go to Joe Weeder because I was auditioning for the part of the Hulk and they said you won the part. So I was on a contract with Joe Weeder at the time and I'm walking up the set and saying to myself, I hope he doesn't get upset because I hate to break the news. So I told Joe the situation. I said, Joe, I have a chance to film the pilot of the Incredible Hulk, but the competition is six weeks away. I can't do both. You know what Joe said? Skip it, compete next year, do the Hulk. And I said, great. So the only thing I regret that never gave me the chance to win this Olympia. Well, the Hulk ended up, it didn't end up being a 13-week show. It ran over about five years? Yeah, five years. So that was right in your prime, in your bodybuilding prime. Right, it's the first time you see a bodybuilder on the screen on TV, you know, flexing because prior to that, you had seen Virtually. Right. And back then, you know, when we when I was competing, if you saw any bodybuilders on TV, like for example, doing commercial, they were always uh, class classified bump about three. So all that changed, pumping iron, it gained respect from the public for bodybuilders. My question always was, how long did it take to put all that makeup on me all? Three, three, or, hours. three or four hours to put, to put the makeup on. I'll be the first one on the set, the last one to leave. I got a funny story. Sometimes I would have to film three or four in the morning. But one time I was in Valencia, we used to on the mountain. And I remember how to get to the makeup. But usually I order like a 12 inch omelet. So they were the catering club here. And they told me that they want to uh, make the omelet, you know, we have to leave because you have to go to the next location. I said, okay. So they bring this omelet to me at like 4 30 in the morning. And I said, just leave it on the steps outside the motorhome, wait till it cools down. Takes off. Ten minutes later, I said to the man, make a person, would you please repeat the omelet and bring it inside? He opened the door, the dish was empty. The coyote ate my breakfast. And you wonder why I was so pissed off. So, but the makeup, you know, not just three or four hours, it's 12 to 14 hours a day, deep stretching. You had to take it off. Yeah, an hour and a half to take it off. Uh, and one night, it's about two in the morning. I was so tired, I said to myself, I'm not going to take the makeup off. I'm going to take the chance to drive home. So <laughs> I, I, I get in my car, I'm driving, and I never forget the guy next to me driving this SUV. He goes, Holy shit! This incredible honking strings, 
and he rammed his head car right into a truck right in front of him. And I'm saying to myself, I'm trying with this makeup. I said, I hope I'll get pulled over, but I'm not going to be able to explain this situation. That was the last time I've gone home with makeup on. Well, you can wear your name, Marky. Yeah. You know, as this, as this was becoming successful and it was a multi year run, were you having some second thoughts like, gee, you know, this is great, but I'm not getting the cookie in the best film with you? That's a title I want. You know, Lonnie, it went on for years. I had to do another film. So I just started one day at the age of 40, 40 and a half. I woke up one morning. I said, why not compete one more time? Because when I did pumping iron, I was 276 pounds. And I went train like nine weeks for a competition because at the time, I was training for the superstar competition. So I said, why not give it a shot? And I realized that after 17 years, I had to take myself to the next level to compete with the younger guys. Because when I filmed Pumping Iron, I was a younger person to compete. When I came back, I was the older person to compete. And I made the sacrifice. I said, if I play 15, 10, or even second, long as I fulfill that dream knowing I'm in the best shape of my life. So I ended up coming back at 325 pounds, 2% body fat. And you know, when you're in the 40, 20 competition, you have to sustain injuries, you have to deal with the training situation. So I'm able to. It was funny, I was 325 on when he did pumping iron for 228. So you talk about 100 pounds more. And I remember you interviewed me for Iron Man magazine. You came to my house in the gym. And I was excited because uh, I love being interviewed by you because it's personal and you were excited by my comeback. So coming back. Well, then we worked together on a documentary to stand tall. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Right. I was excited about the comeback because you've given me one more shot. And I'll tell you, if I haven't done it, I would feel very unfulfilled. So it's still that gap inside of me that one more time just compete with my love competing. Was there a change in from the previous time where you competed to this? It was like a 14, what, 15 year gap? 17. 17 year gap. Were things any different or did he come back pretty quick? Pretty tough training for a contest. Well, the difference is that in my time when I competed in the 70s, all the extreme dieting, how lean, how cut you can be. But because of the difference in 17 years, had better dieting, you had also cardio and different supplements and everything. Also, uh, in my time, we had these tanning beds, you know, backstage like we have over here. Yeah, the sun. Exactly. So I was able to com compete at a high body weight. Otherwise, train heavy up to the day of the show instead of training down because, you know, the whole science of bodybuilding has changed tremendously. That's why you see the competitors today, guys like Ryan Coleman, they're like 5'10, they weigh like 285 pounds. Yeah, exactly. You know, you went on from uh, the Hulk to do some several other things in the entertainment field. Right, Bruce? Yeah, I've done over 40 films. I've gone back into theater to work on my acting because uh, I knew doing the Hulk at the time it was a non speaking part of Panama. I mean, acting without speaking. So I decided to go into theater and then hone my craft as an actor. So it takes 20 years to know what you do as an actor. You know, a lot of people don't know this about you, and I got this in one of my interviews with you. I think it was the last time I interviewed you in your backyard again. Deputy Sheriff? Yeah. How many people know that Bruce Riggins is Deputy Sheriff? Well, it was funny. My father was a policeman lieutenant at NYPD until about 12 years ago. I ran to the sheriff, LA Sheriff Barker, and I uh, have a conversation. He said, why don't you go to the academy and be a deputy sheriff? I said, sure. So it was a challenge because it's all about the shooting, the driving, and the studying. You know, you have to understand the, the, the laws of the Constitution. So I have books piled on the table about the time 
you know, give that card to a lot of members. They should take the test. But it changed my life because of that, giving back. That's the only thing I think my father would be proud of. Because my father wasn't too happy with me coming, uh, running off in the 1975 Miss Olympia. There was a lot of talk about the relationship between your dad and the film company. Well, what's interesting, a lot of both bodybuilders, I don't know if you know, have had bad relationships with their father. That's why they feel themselves, like I myself, like I'm powerful. I built a shield. Nobody's going to pick on me. Papa's not going to pick on me. You want to feel powerful. That's part of my inferiority complex against the problem bodybuilding. At the time, he was South African. He told me that I would win the competition. He couldn't take the fans and me losing. So it's kind of tough because I'm living in that situation. But I was excited just to be there with all my friends. You know, like Franco, Spain, everybody. It was so much fun because I felt like I was home. Yeah, we often talk about the golden years of bodybuilding and the difference today versus then. And there was much more camaraderie at that time. You were kind of like one big family. Even though you wanted, all wanted to win, you know, you wanted to beat the other person. You guys, it seemed like you all hung around together and got along a lot. Yeah, everybody sat down, you eat together, you go to feast together, you just have fun. And of course, the best man wins. What bothers me today when you go to a gym, you see so many bodybuilders working out, they cover themselves with a hat and clothes. Now, one thing I have to say that really pisses me off, a lot of times I go on Facebook and you see so many guys want to be bragging how great they are. I think the only way you want to be a champion is have to compete with the IBB NPC. That's that way the men from the boys and the body speaks for itself. Yeah, that's, that's the major leagues. That's the minor leagues. Uh, you continue in the entertainment world and you're in the world of promoting that. So you stay true to your, your first love, bodybuilding, and you've been, this is the third year of Bruno Legacy. It's the third year we're taking to the next level because that's why my, my son sent me in the show. He approached me about uh, three years ago with Chris Minnis about uh, having a competition. I said, sure, it's a great guy because I can't do this myself. So why not have a professional process? Everybody comes that they feel like a champion. I don't want guys pumping up in the backyard or out in the street and then, you know, have to support that dietary needs. So everything here basically comes here like being on vacation. Because when you go to compete in a contest, you're on vacation. You can't change your body in two days. So if you're in your best shape, why not enjoy the competition itself? But now because the guys wearing the broad shorts and you got the figure, you got the fitness, now also we're introducing you have the classic. You want to bring back the symmetry back in the 1970s. So there's so many different divisions that everyone had the chance to get inspired and compete. Does this really surprise you? Because when you competed, it was men's bodybuilding, then women's bodybuilding came in. For years, it was just men and women. I would MC shows, and it would be men's bodybuilding, women's bodybuilding. And now, uh, I'm hosting the Nationals next month. In Miami, there's like 12 different classes. It's just like it never is. A thousand competitors. It's great. That's hard to believe. And it's funny that uh, someone mentioned to me yesterday they have a big following with guys competing like 50, 60, 70. Because of the massive competition. Because when I was young, I remember when I was like 22, 23. I kept thinking, what's the longevity in bodybuilding? Because at the time, Bill Pearl was competing. He was like 41 guys pop. So it gave me a lot of inspiration that you can compete in your 40s. Today, we got 50, 60s, and 70s. I think well, Dexter else. Jackson, who set the all-time record for most wins, was 46 years old, going to be 47 November 25th. 28 victories in the pro level. It's amazing. And, and the way he trained it, and able to maintain that condition, I have to commend him for that because but it's positive, you know what I'm saying? You're not doing anything obsessively bad things. You're doing good things for yourself, especially getting yourself in the best shape 
and completing the EP price at the same time being the best shape. I, you know, before we have a uh, question, I gotta tell a funny story. You gotta love this. When I was the 21 training for the Mr. Universe back in New York, the contest, as a matter of fact, was like in October. So it was hard to acquire the stuff camp. And at the time, I was driving a Volkswagen. People thought I took the front seat out down the back seat away from my side. So anyway, I drive to the Volkswagen. Yeah, green Volkswagen. So I drive to the beach, right? I'm driving around, I can't find a parking spot. It's 1230, I say to myself, I have to get a sub camp. I'm driving around again. Suddenly I see a small car, like a Dacia G210. I get out of the car, I'm looking to the left, I'm looking to the right, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I got an idea. I get out of my fourth rack, I go in front of this car, I literally lifted one foot towards the middle of the street. <laughs> then I got on this side, I did the same thing to the car, literally in the middle of the street, then I parked my fourth rack right into that spot. Then I hear a guy screaming. The guy comes up. He's like, "Come playing with me." And I got yeah, I'm on the pitch, screaming, got five sticks, screaming, cursing me every word in the language. I'm just standing there because I want to get a suntan. So at the same time, the black and white comes, the police car pulls right up. The officer gets out of the car and sees this guy about five sticks screaming, yelling at me, and he's shaking his head. The guy got a ticket for double parking. <laughs> he got a second ticket. And they gave him a third ticket for assaulting a police officer. And I got a suntan, so I suggest you don't do the same thing. <laughs> I got a question. This is a weird question. I ask many weird questions. Watching the Hulk all the time, I was always thinking, every time he peels back and turns into this green guy, you're all pumped up and ready to go. When they filmed that, were they telling you in five minutes you were going to be coming on, so you go over to the side and pump up a little bit before we do the next scene? That's a good question. I could pump up because the makeup of what uh, I would perspire. But the truth is, it covered most of my definition. Now, usually, sometimes if I have that uh, police makeup, you see the definition. I would love to pump up. But I guess because I'm so pissed away on the makeup. What were you wearing during your whole thing? 285. 285. Five years. And you were still running, you were spraying around? Yeah. A long time ago, I think it was the third season, uh, I was filming at Venice Beach. Guy comes to my normal home. I was in the makeup, drinking a cup of coffee. So I hear a knock on the door. Come in, I interrupt. Knock on the door. I turn around, the door opens. A tall guy comes in with gray hair, dark glasses, and a kid. He says, Excuse me, my name is Harry Sam. I'm here to take a picture of my nephew. And I was like mortified. I'm looking at him, and I couldn't speak. He probably thought I was really in the home. And he comes to the normal home, he closed the door, and I'm saying to myself, what am I doing this motor home with Tyler Grant as one of the most famous movie stars of all time? We took a picture. I was so elated, so ecstatic. It made me realize how popular the show was. Oh, extremely fun. I said, I can't wait for it every week. Yeah. I tell you, the pumping iron, and I teach uh, at the college level, I always have my students try to find a copy of it. I don't know how successful they are. But this is one of the great films of all time. Going to 2016, people are still talking about this film, what, in 75? 41 years ago. 41 years ago. Do you ever look at a copy of it anymore? You ever... Even today, if I watch Pumping Iron, I get motivated by work out afterwards. It's such a good film. It's beautiful because everybody in the film had a personality. It wasn't about winning or losing, like Mike Cash with the t shirt, the Ken Waller, you got Robbie Robinson, you got uh, myself, like Arnold. And uh, I'll never forget when we did Pumping Iron, I think it was in the 
evening contest. You ready for this? Some laying down right here, all of laying down next to me, and Paul Grant is about to get pumped up. He's the English bodybuilder. Right. And he walks around and says, I have no baby oil. So Arnold had a tube and he waits and die and goes, move into this, into the goods of his tomb to give us low. Anyway, Paul Grant squeezed the tube and he puts all the cream over his entire body. I didn't know Arnold went to me and he said, Ben Gay. <laughs> the poor guy covered his whole body of Ben Gay. And, and, and he kept saying to himself, I feel so hot. And my, I want to have a hot in another thing. I told myself, I'm so sorry. And he went on stage, covered in Ben Gay clothing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like That's what you know that. Sounds like Arnold for sure. Of course. Well, it was fun because everybody had a chance to go to the beach and go climb around each other. It was fun. It's a personality. Did you know Fred Price, when I competed in the 1974 Mr. Olympia, Fred Price was $750? Fred Price. And Arnold, many ways, the money he said is never going to happen again. That's why he promoted some competition. You see, Lottie, back then, was the love of the sport. It wasn't about the money. Yeah, he went, I know he won $1,000 one year. And the truth is that you're more because bodybuilding, I think, is one of the most difficult, hardest sports in the world because you're talking about tanning, dieting, getting ready for one day of the year of competition. You get the flu three days before and you're screwed. It's, it's, it's tough. It's very hard, especially to balance your body. You have to understand the science of nutrition. It's very difficult. Yeah, that's why I shocked. He won 220,000, I think, the year before and jumped to 400 the last year. And talking about mainstream publicity, I, John Bailey just sent me a link to that. One of the New York major New York papers, they did a major feature on Phil Heath, so it's pretty good to get mainstream exposure. Because yep. as you said, people wouldn't touch it at one time. Exactly. So that's why it was a change now because of the fact that we have in the mainstream, so we have all these actors like the Jake Stallone, all these actors like Hugh Jackson, who would film, so I was now seeing a break. But at the time, you know, when Steve Reeves came out, it was always like a set or something like a fish show. Body was at the time like a fish show, so all that change was pumping on him. I like the freak. Yeah. I, I, I love like, the freak. I like to see the Hulk as a freak. I don't want the Hulk to be a meant to be. I want the Hulk to be 285 pounds. Oh, yeah. Get down. That's why in the lift you had over 200, under 200. So at the time I did the Hulk, that's why it's almost when the show first came out, they thought it was so Bixby and the just too pop up again. They didn't <laughs> believe that the muscles were real. They thought you were so Bixby and the pop up again. They were working on the TV guy because they didn't believe at the time on TV that the muscles were really real because at the time, the first time you ever seen a body with a 285 grip on the TV screen and the average mom and papa didn't understand what body was it was, but they assumed that probably like uh, And you look bigger on TV, so you look exactly. Yeah, yeah, but whenever you do film and television, always add 10 pounds to your frame. I bought some of the other films. Well, you went on, you were on another television series, the medic. No, after I did a whole series, I did virtually. Okay. I was so excited and for Hercules because that. I love doing Hercules. He's doing that wrong anyway. And after that, then uh, King of Queens for uh, seven years, and then I did the movie I Love You, Man. Everybody wanted me to put him in charcoal. I enjoy doing comedy. Yeah. You know, comedy's not easy. It's hard because you're in front of a live audience and get that instant gratification. Acting is tough. You're still doing a lot of stuff. I remember we did a seminar at the LA Fit Expo last January, and you had to leave 15 minutes early. You were heading. 
Kansas City or somewhere to do a some type of McDonald's commercial and Jack in the Box or something. Yeah, I think I'm throwing that bird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That so you still got stuff going continuously? Oh, yeah. I, have a, I, I worked on a Honda and TV series to make it million. And uh, that's coming out next month in my first film. I did called Instant Death, which is about the. Like a remake and make up a death wish, and that's coming out uh, after the first of the month because after January 1st, it's going to be sold by Sony Pitcher Sony Pitch Plaza Films. And you're keeping it in the family, Louis Jr. did some acting, huh? Yes, he's then seeing the concept, he graduated from USC, he's doing different films, and uh, it's great because you know he's 31 and uh, he's a pro at it, so I'm very happy to have the family involved. Work on my wife, the whole family, because all my kids are into fitness and, uh, and bodybuilding. You still have that great gym in the back? I do go to goals and I enjoy being with my friends. You know, different thing, when I first began bodybuilding, I couldn't afford weights. I had to get cement pail, I had to fill it with cement, I had to put a boot stick to make my own bottle that I couldn't afford it. Because, you know, it's your passion. I just love it so much. I just love working out. Because at the time I was in magazines, you see the pictures of the guys in California working out. And I said, this is my dream. It saved my life because if I didn't have bodybuilding, I would have done bad things. I mean, it's my only way to survive. That's why every one of you, Beautiful, then you have this uh, sport to be involved with by competing with yourself, taking care of your diet and those situations to do a great sense of well-being. How old were you when you first started lifting weights and how big were you? I was 12 years old when I began. First year of high school, Marty, I was 5, 8, I weighed 156 pounds. When I graduated from high school, I was 172 pounds. That's 62. 172? Weight. I keep anything inside, could not gain weight. Wow. And for me, it was a challenge because to work out, I had a tall bone structure. So I had to train harder than the average person because, you know, doing bench press, I had to put on more size and more mass. But the difficulty for me was built up to my legs proportion my upper body because I had to do a lot of squats and deadlifts. Because back at the time when I was, before I competed, bodybuilders didn't have great legs. Like you take great books. Like all, the only person exceptional is Sergio Lima. But those days, they didn't It's harder for a guy. You end up being, what, six, four and a half, yeah. six, five, maybe even tougher. You yeah. got to go down lower than you do. I know. That's why you think a guy like Mike talks, he does bench press. It's like almost doing half press. <laughs> so for me, it's like all the way up and all the way Did you used to tell him that when you were talking about how much you bench? I bench one time, my best bench was 560. If I did it today, wow. there'll be a gurney outside and straight to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what? Now, what was it? That was a famous little gym in the back, was it Barn Gate or something like that? Was in Brooklyn? Yeah. A lot of good people were working out there. Yeah, the gym back then I trained up with Orange Jane Health Club. We had a uh, solid jump down. And we had it, I had an equipment like, for example, on the West Coast, like Cash Machine. Believe it or not, Lonnie, I lay on the bench one time and put the bench on two 50 pound plates. I had someone place a 90 pound dumbbell between my feet, and I would hold it on the because we didn't have a leg curl machine. Everything was improvising. And you find a way to build that muscle. If you're determined, you got a good set of weights, it's all about training properly. What was that gym like? A small little place? I would say maybe no more than maybe 1,500 square feet. It was narrow. Jerry yeah. Brayton used to tell me about that gym. Yeah. He used to see it. A lot of funny things happened in that gym. <laughs> a lot of funny things. Don't get me started. <laughs> what are the funniest? Well, you know, you, we, we have the average guys, like for example, you know, some guys connected. Mafia, they come in. You get a, if you get a chance to use the bench, 
on you. So it was a great bunch of guys. And back in New York, we didn't have air conditioning in the gym. So at the time, uh, it was hard to hard to make the best out of it. But, you know, when you come from a gym like that, it's a real camaraderie. It's about the love. Because today, there's so many people that don't appreciate uh, working out like new equipment. They don't understand where we came from. Yeah, I was going to say, what is, what do you, when you look at today's equipment and look back to what, what you turned on, you, think, you sit back and say, this is unbelievable. I can't believe I did this back then. But well, you, you didn't know any different. Well, you can't build a great physique on machines. You have to do free work. Machines maybe 15, 20%. Now, you're older, it's okay to use machines. But growing up, you have to do the deadlift, the squats, and the bench press. You have to do those exercises to build the basics. You said you squat when you bench 560. What was your best squat? Maybe about 620. I've never been heavy squat. 620 is not squat. Oh, it's interesting. 620 wasn't everywhere. <laughs> oh, so you're talking about 620? Seven years ago, I was in gold training. Ronnie Coleman bought him. You know Ronnie Coleman. He's a big nasty. Okay. He racks the bar. He has 650 pounds. He, he said, could you spot me? I said, okay, I'll pay myself. He said, stop. I want to pick up 650 pounds. <laughs> so Ronnie steps back, he does 15 reps with his butt touching his ankle, like it was a warm up. Ronnie wraps the ball and he says, It feels a little bit heavy today. <laughs> 620 pounds. And you talk about the acceleration, you talk about the guys competing today, how much weight they handle. It's amazing. Yeah, he was uh, probably the strongest bodybuilder that I've ever seen. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But uh, what's your feelings about all these? Different divisions today. When you talk about it, probably will help to get a little more mainstream exposure. We have the men's physique, the women's physique, the bikini, the figure. It's not encompassing more people, more divisions, make it more palatable to the general public. Well, definitely because you have more of a choice today, Ron. It's not like only bodybuilding. You can go into the physique, you can go into the classic. Now you have different choices in that. Because in the old days, you either compete in the bodybuilding classic or you don't compete. So now, because it's different divisions, like the guys who can't wear the bra shorts, they can show the app, they don't have to pose for sweat. So it's more of the, of the lean body, the lean physique. So it's, even the women, too, you have the bikini, you have the figure, you have the fitness. So there's so many different choices. That's why we have so many more competitors and more people uh, enjoying the sport. Yeah, uh, yesterday when the pros were there, I went through the men's bodybuilding, 19 guys, and it's really a good lineup. And the improvement from the first year to the second year to this year is amazing. You know, outstanding line of pros. Well, you got people competing in their 40s and their 50s. Amazing. And they're coming from all over Australia. There's one guy that's competing in my contest, the, uh, the bodybuilder that came all the way from Moscow. Oh, yeah, that's a guy that he had trouble with. I couldn't understand his name. <laughs> well, they think of Moscow, you know? Yeah, I, you're I, let me delete the country to come here. Yeah. I was saying, how do you think you're going to do, number one? Good positive attitude. Yeah, but did you ever think that the women would be expanding like this? Now that the women's physique, uh, figure, bikini, I mean, it's, it's cool. Well, I'm amazed how it's taken on because, you know, when I was young, when I was a kid, I used to walk back to Mr. Meadow from Mr. Universe, and you see him come out with the bathing suit. Now, as a matter of fact, what's interesting, when I used to read the magazine years ago, Frank James White, Christine James, I believe at the Napa conference she won the Miss Napa Universe. Yeah. That was yeah. like the pioneer at the time you see a woman competing in a bodybuilding contest. But today it's almost like when you see women competing in different sizes, it doesn't have to be just a beauty sports or a greater competition. It could be more like a beauty court. You have to see their bodybuilders competing. It's wonderful because of the personal preference. 
know, you have an outstanding uh, group of pro athletes competing, but you have also an NPC show on Sunday, and I think the last time I talked to Chris, the numbers were up to about 312 and 315 competitors. It's a huge, huge I guess Sunday, I Sunday night the 12 got 80 people. Yes, 80 so people in the four categories. Yeah. So we got the three judges that starts at three, and the finals are at uh, seven, I believe, right? Yeah, so uh, this continues to grow. You must be pretty excited about this. We take it out here to this beautiful facility here. Yeah. You're taking it to the next level. Exactly. Before we do in a and a I have a friend of mine here I want to bring on stage. He's been one of my idols. I do one of my great fine things. We find him to Lindsay and welcome to come on stage. Thank you, Louis, for having me here. My pleasure. Thank you. No, you still live here. And uh, I don't know if this is bragging or not, but this is the first time I've been to Palm Springs in 18 years since I moved. So it's, it's nice to see how things have changed. So many windmills. I remember there's this shot that Artie Zoto took, it was in 1980, over at, uh, it's actually near Date Palm off Vista Chino. All mountains and everything in the background. Now, nothing but windmills. You couldn't see anything but mountains, man. So it's changed a lot. That's progress. But uh, it's nice being here, and, uh, you know, this is a great place. It's a, Quite scenic, I think Palm Springs is probably, well, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but it's one of the most beautiful deserts in the world. And I remember a long time ago, I came to your house, and you wouldn't take some pictures of me, coaching for competition. It was 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.15, I'd be flying to 2 o'clock, I'd go back in the house, session's over. It was like 100 degrees. But one thing I have to say to you, I remember the time of the channel for you when you were competing, because you had all these guys, you know, with the math and the stars, you were the first one to break the barrier, to break the symmetry. Like, I used to say, well, if you see Frank Dane in person, you look like an average guy, when you take his clothes off, it's magic, because it's symmetry. That's why symmetry is so important, because now we have back bringing back the classic competition. Well, you know, that was an interesting point. When I got into bodybuilding, I wanted to get bigger, like everybody does when they started. You know, it just wasn't happening with me very quickly, and so... I, over the years, learned what my best approach was. It was basically was training for completion, balance, and have everything develop. And doing then presentation, of course, and uh, you know, it all worked for me. But, you know, it took a long time. I mean, I didn't win anything right away. Uh, I was 30, what was it, 35 when I won the Olympia the first time, 35, 36, wow. 37. And it was, I think, my 10th pass at the Olympia. It didn't come easy, and I just stuck to it. That's one thing that I always had on my side was, I do things forever. My wife said, says, what's wrong with you? You're still doing the same thing you were doing 60 years ago. Said, well, I, I love this. This is what I like doing, and so I'm going to continue doing it. And, you know, there's all this stuff going around about politics and contests and everything. My approach has, has been, especially in the last oh, 30 years or so, is to concentrate on teaching people how to train correctly. What's it all about? I see so much misinformation out there. So many people doing things wrong. And I just basically want to uh, continue writing information, uh, books, uh, doing seminars. Oh, by the way, we're having a seminar at Poway uh, Show Facility in Poway, California, which is about 20 miles north of Palm Springs. On November 12th, it's all day seminar. It's all about training. And we're going to show them everything about training. Uh, the basic diagram is... There's four main factors in, in bodybuilding. 
there's nutrition, uh, exer- there's, there's exercise, your attitude, recuperation, and nutrition. It spells earn, E-A-R-N. And we go into those five variables and show you everything about what you need to do, it. basically everything that I've always paid attention to in my training, because that's the thing about symmetry and proportion. It's about having everything developed, not just good points. And, you know, I, I remember getting back to our history. I remember the first time I met you. I don't know if you remember this. It was 1970 at the Mr. Universe in London. And I was there and competing in the amateur, and Arnold was competing in the professional. And my wife was there competing in this universe bikini. And I remember seeing you there, and I said, you're there drinking your Coke. And I said, Louie, those aren't good for you. <laughs> yep. And I guess you took my advice after that. Yes, I drink Coke after that. That's not a Coke house, it's much <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I was one year old learning about dieting. 1974, when I competed against Arnold, I'll never forget this. Arnold came in at 237. So I was at 250 at the time, and I remember he was like, everything was popping out. He was in the best shape of his life. And I said to you at the point, what can I do? Why can I be sick and look at the way Arnold looks? And he said, just keep training hard. I said, Frank, look at me. I said, I want to get bigger, get stronger. He said, keep training hard. I said to him, why are you telling me? He's not telling me the secret. The secret was to go about keep training hard so that maturity set again. And then writing about the diet and proper way to train. That's why you told me money and freaking coke. Secret is don't give up, keep doing it, and you learn all along the way. You know, if you're in it just to win and then quit and move on to something else. I was never like that. I was kept doing this. I mean, I could have done other things, but I've been doing this now. 60 years. This is my 60th anniversary of training. And uh, it's a little bit different than it was before. Yeah. One of the things I've gotten into as I've gotten older is music. I've, I've written a whole bunch of songs. And uh, I have one that I wrote recently I'm going to do at the seminar. It's called uh, The Fitness Blues. <laughs> Fitness Blues. And you know, when you think about it, why do people start doing this stuff? I mean, this is hard work. It's a lot of dedication, but it works. I mean, you can change your appearance, the way you feel, the way you look, and in effect, you change your life, the way people relate to you. But how does it all start? Why do people start doing this? It's because of what we call deficiency motivation. You are motivated by what you don't have, what you want, what you want to go for. You don't have it, and so basically, you are dissatisfied with where you're at, and so you want to do something about it, and that's where the training comes in. You go to the gym, you start training, and you, as much as you can. And then, if you are made aware of your progress, you will stick with it, probably. But if you're not, you may just drop off. And see, that's the thing. Is the fitness blues is the start of all of this. You have to feel that dis- dissatisfaction with yourself and want to improve before you do anything about it. You don't find people starting this because they already love the way they look and they feel good. I mean, maybe you do every now and then. But... You know, it basically all starts out of a sense of satisfaction. I mean, you were like that when you started yeah. your career. I was too. I was getting beat up all the time. Yeah. yeah. It was an act of self-defense. And what I discovered is that a well-built physique is the ultimate defense mechanism because then people don't want to bother with you. I built my body up and I had lats in a couple of weeks and I started walking around with my lats spread and tight t-shirts. And that was all I took. <laughs> I never had to fight after that. And for those of you that don't know about it, in history, three-time Mr. Olympia, Frank Zane. Thank you. I know, Louie, I'm glad you got that part for the whole of 1977. It makes sense for him. A lot of you, your brother. But 
you know, one of the things, another thing that impressed me about you was I remember, and this was recently I saw this. I remember you saying something years ago about you made a Hercules movie in Italy and you didn't really like some things about it. And I saw that movie on TV. And I was amazed by that movie. You know, I first name of that movie, Hercules in Italy. You ever? Yeah, it was the first Hercules. I don't know which one it was, but what I was most impressed about that movie was the way you looked. You looked phenomenal. You must set everything up so that you would look incredible on every shot, because you did, man. You're just huge and proportioned and everything. Well, the hard thing was the fact that I had to sustain the... When I did the, the movie Hercules, a lot of times you shoot the movie in different sequence, and I felt like from the beginning to the end of the film, I had to maintain and keep that same condition compared to bodybuilding. Yeah. And at the time, I met our boots that in the, you know, in the tropical journey, because you step on stage, you can compete with the Olympia. Well, my goal is to maintain that condition every day for three months. It's very hard, but that's why I'm glad I did it because you know the body speaks for itself. Because if you start to change the body by smoothing out, you see the difference with the body of the size. And that's how I'm very happy to maintain that condition. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is to continue motivation for training. And when I uh, I competed my last year in 1983, and I was 41, and I knew this was going to be, I sort of looked at Bill Pearl's last contest was age 41, so I said, well, that's a good way to go out, and I was in really good shape, and uh, I, I was trying to win four Olympias, but instead of winning four Olympias, I got my four, and it was called fourth place, and so I said, that's it, that's it. Already I saw the monsters coming, and I knew yeah. my, the window was now closing, and I better get out now. The question at that point was, what do you do to improve? How do you stay motivated when you're not training for competition? It is damn hard. Yes. It is hard. Because the, the most motivation you could have is a contest. You get up on stage and show yourself. I mean, you can't hide. You can hide very little. I mean, I managed to hide some things in my routine. And everybody that's good at posing could not learn how to show their maximum good points to, to good advantage. But, man, you, you're totally exposed there. And you, you'll never train harder than that. And so if you're not training for that, guess what? You're not going to train as hard. Exactly. And so I had to find a way to train. And so I opened up Zane Haven in Palm Springs, which is a live-in live bodybuilding school where people came for five days, four nights. And I did that for about eight years. And then I realized that how hard it was to be an innkeeper and to teach people how to do that. So we went to a different format. And that's what I do now. I call it Zane Experience. I have a, in my place where I uh, operate out of, I have a 600-square-foot studio with everything in it. And I've been doing this since. So we moved there in 1998. And of course, I've been doing this since 1980, showing people how to train me, you know, what, what has worked for me. But you know, getting back to that that original stuff, what is, what is your original motive? Now, of course, my motivation now is even different because uh, it's different. You know, I used to get older, but it's different. It seems like every 10 years is another milestone you have to confront. I remember at 60, oh, wow, this is really starting to get different. At 70, oh, this is even worse than Wish I was 60 again. Now, how many people are saying that? Anyway, we might have some Q&A. Yeah, we might have some time for some questions here from the audience. Uh, Lou and Frank, I have this specific question for you guys because you guys grew up in, where symmetry was so important. And you, Lou, specifically, like you're talking about, you weighed like 300 plus pounds and you had that symmetry. Frank, you're always well known for your symmetry. Now, in today's bodybuilding, you have these guys that weigh 300 pounds and they don't have that symmetry. What do you think about this? Have we lost a little bit of that of that 
Well, I think the I think the problem is the fact that when guys compete today, is how much muscle you can put on the frame because they're forced to do that. Because when you're competing against guys like the, like for example, when I came back to competition, Joe Weaver said to me, he said, uh, "Do not go on stage if you're under 260 pounds." He said because you have to have that massive look. The problem is you start to sacrifice symmetry. And it's a shame because I like the symmetry, symmetrical part. But it's not the body was important. So if you're competing against that 260, 270, you'd be compared to completely pulled down. You don't have striations of your glute and your hamstrings. You don't have striations that thickness. You're not going to play hard. So I hate to see going that direction. But like Wayne Coleman, every time he won, he has symmetry. So he always keeps like the epitome of his theory when it comes to symmetry. I was just curious if there were any tips for a first time competitor and then um, what your guys' like weirdest macro friendly meal was. <laughs> macro friendly meal. What? <coughs> I don't, don't understand your question. It was a tip for a newcomer and what advice on how to get a. Oh, if you ever made like some meal that got you through all of your competition preps and it was a little weird but worked for you, there was anything. Well, what do you eat before the show? Uh, you know, there's, that last week is pretty critical. It's not so much critical for training. It's critical for doing a lot of posing because that's what you can do in the show. Getting feedback on knowing what you look like by taking plenty of photographs beforehand. But then how you eat, basically, I always follow the restricted carbohydrate diet. And I would keep my carbs, about half my protein intake, three days in a row. So that would generally be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Let's say the show is Friday. Thursday, I'd eat a little bit more carbs. Friday, a little bit more. And Saturday, I'd, I'd basically load on carbs right up to pre-judging, which meant getting up early and having some eggs and calves liver and baked yam. And uh, then about every 45 minutes after that, having baked yam with uh, free-form amino acids. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really trained much that week, and my body became stimulus-hungry for weight training. And I pumped up right away. Didn't have to pump up very much because I hadn't done it in days. And I was loaded with carbs and feeling ready to pump up. And it always worked for me. So that's what I did. But everybody has their own way of preparing for a show. You know, the main thing is, is to be motivated to, to know what to, to, to be able to do it. And the, the best advice I, I can give is don't do... Don't do things you've never done before, never tested before, at the last minute. I know people who, I'm not going to say any names, but pretty, pretty well known, who blame it on their poor performance if somebody gave them a pill before they went out on stage. And damn that person, that pill is what messed me up. No, it's you that messed you up, not that pill. Why did you have to take that anyway? You're still not sure of yourself? I think you're saying to blame the wife sometimes. The girl blame anybody. mathematician and teaching that for many years, I'm not, I, I, I wasn't fooled by numbers. It's not about numbers. Nobody asks you what your weight or what your measurements are or what your percentage of body fat when you're up there. All they do is they look at you. So why don't you just do that? Take photos. That's all I ever did. Take photos. I didn't weigh myself. I didn't measure myself. I didn't have any body fat. I don't even know what my body fat is. Some people did, though. They knew I was 5%. Of course, I never knew because I never had it done. That's how important. None of these numbers matter to me. All that matters is 
what you look like. That's what you're judged on. So why, why don't you just focus on that? Uh, my question is, uh, I'm doing uh, classic thinking, but my heart is two thirty-six, two forty-four. Do you think it's like two thirty-two pounds? It's really low weight for my height. See, here you go again with the numbers. I just got through talking about that. Here's, I'm like 6'2", and I'm weird enough. Where are my arms better? How big is my calf? You're going in the wrong direction, pal. I don't mean to be sarcastic, but it's not about that. It's about how you look. How you look. And it's even about, it's more than about how you look. It's how people think you look. And actually, I've been accused of this. I mean, Lee Haney, every time he sees me, he calls me a master of illusion. A master of illusion. And that's basically what posing is. You present yourself in such a way that people see things that aren't maybe not even there. you know. And there's ways to do that and ways to look at your best in certain poses. And so I spent a great deal of time practicing posing. And, and actually, you know what I would prepare for prejudging? I'd be out here in Palm Springs. I had a house then like in 79 was my, my big preparation here for that. I came out here the last month and lived in the house and did nothing but train. Christine was in Santa Monica every weekend. She'd come over and bring new, fresh clothes and food and stuff. And I just stayed there and worked out all day and got sun. And uh, I got great shape that way. I was like a monk living in a cave. I think his question is, and he's concerned, in classic physique, they have a weight limit for your heights. Yeah. So that's a little different. But I think what he's saying is... And as I, far I, as I, making I, your weight, I'd yeah, say maybe focus on that. But... Uh, and, you will be at your, but see, that's the thing too. That's why they went to two classes in the Olympia in 1980. Yeah. And when they did that, I saw the writing. I said, you know, this is going to be the end of the guys under 200. It was above 200 and below 200 pounds. And up to that point, everybody that I'd wanted from, well, the U. Franco went at 76, right up to Samir in 83, basically. It was guys who were under 200 pounds. And so then they put everybody on the same stage together. I had to, you know, what I had to do, I had to learn how to look good standing next to guys that weighed me by 50, 60 pounds. And how do you do that? I mean, you can look smaller no matter what you do. And so what I would do, this is a little tricks I learned, I would always try to stand a little bit in front of them on stage. So somebody's standing here, I'm standing here. Just a little bit. Yeah, I won't be looking at them. Look down at their pose to see where they're at. So that way you could lunge in front of them when you pose, but also... You look bigger. Because what happens at a contest, in those days at least, people were shooting available light photography in black and white. And that means they, their lens is wide open, and so there's no depth of field. What they tend to do is focus on what's they, what the lens comes in contact first. That was me standing in front of other people. And everybody else that's that much in back of me is a little blurry. It worked, I mean, you know, until everybody saw what I was doing, and then they're practically falling off the stage, right off the end of the stage. I've got, I've got a pretty good question to follow up from what Frank said earlier. Uh, Lou, this is for you. You built your entire image associated with your name, with your physique, so they're all blended together. You cannot leave one from another. Does that mean you have additional pressure put on yourself to maintain that look as you get older each decade, okay. you have additional pressure on keeping because you've been known initially as your physique before your physique was kind of blended with your your acting skills. Is there extra pressure on you today to keep your physique up? 
I don't think so because uh, it's all about maintaining what I have. Like I weigh 250 pounds, I like this look. Now I can't compete with guys that make films like in the 40s, like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. But you take other people like Sloan Arnold and everything, it's all about maintaining what you have because when you get to 55, like 60, I'm 64. I'm happy just to maintain what I have because on film, it's perfect. I'm not going to play roles of Hercules anymore or like uh, this master for a black skeleton kind of film. What about bringing my own personality? So what? the best thing I can do now is train the way I'm training now, so I can do injury free. I do high reps, I can do a bumping machine, I train body parts twice a week, I can do cardio. That's the look because they like the look we have today because the back of my time, 20, 30 years ago, I tried so hard to get attention from doing Hercules to be accepted. Now I'm being accepted, so I'd rather have this lady look. Of course, I could put on more shine, but I think I'd much rather say it's just a mental look. Let me respond to that, too, about what it's like for me. Um, the way I look at it, at, at this point in my life, there's there's two ways to train. And actually, I'm beyond one of them. There's two ways to train. One is training called get big quick. That's what everybody's into today, it seems. And then the other one is training for longevity. What you have to do in the long run to last long and feel good and look good your whole life. And so I'm concerned about that. And that's why I wrote the Fitness Blues. And basically the lyrics of the song pretty much explain it all for me the way it is now. And it goes a little like this. Should I work out or should I get a rest? I don't know what to do, but I sure want to look and feel my very best. But I guess I'll train because I got nothing to lose. But I think I got the fitness blues. I feel like a lot of the advice and everything was really more per, uh, directed towards men. But as you said yourself, the women's uh, area is actually booming and it's coming up really fast. Um, as far as camaraderie and actually joining together and getting together, you do see that a lot more with the men. The women are starting to come along, but it's a little more catty. Um, what would you have to say towards the women? by way Well, 
All I can really talk about is what it's like for me. You know, I don't know what it's like for anybody else. I mean, it's a subjective thing. And the reason we had such camaraderie in the 70s, we all trained together. Exactly. There wasn't any money in it. We did it because we loved it. You know, I, had to, I was teaching school to make ends meet. You know, it, it, it was something that was in my blood that I loved and wanted to do. And we shared experiences. I mean, we, we hung out together, socialized and everything together. We were competing. And even when we were competing, you know, we were helping each other out then. Because it wasn't up to us then, it was up to the judges. And so I think the best thing you can do is lose your, if you have one, which we all do to some extent, is lose your sense of importance and try to be as humble as possible. I wish I was more humble as I, as I grew up. You know, I mean, I can see whether jerk I was at times. It could have been nicer. And of course, I'm trying to make up with that more about being nice to everybody. Sometimes, so it's not easy. But I'm doing my best, you know. And that's the thing: is you got to be nice, and you got to be polite, you got to be civil, and treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. We have a question in the back. It's not about competition. Always. Question in the back. Hi, Dave. Um, due to a spinal cord injury, I am I'm left disabled to the certain degree of like. I can't work my legs as well. So posing on stage and getting that quad separation in the front is really difficult for me. So I'm wondering, give me your best leg exercise, your best for, for the separations in the front part of your quads. Well, your best bet, of course, is leg extension. I mean, if you can sit and do that, you should be able to do that and just work your way up and wait. You know, I in 1979, I... I, I sort of know for my leg development. <laughs> lunges, lunges too, if you can do it. Maloui lunge, Maloui lunge. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually take the treadmill up to a 10-inch incline and do walking lunges on that so I can hang on to it so I don't have the balance. There you go. I mean, you don't need to do heavy squats. That's something not everybody needs to do anyway. I mean, in 79, I had a little bit of a lower back injury, so I did squat and Preparation for the Olympia. I just did a lot of heavy leg extensions. So leg extension, leg throw, and that was it. Slip machine, too. Yeah. I didn't have a slip machine then, but that's something you could use. And Joko had a slip, remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I trained there, I did use that stuff. And, you know, a lot of times, I, like that last month before the Olympia, 79, I did a lot of heavy leg extensions. Okay, a question right here. Uh, good morning. Um, so, my question is for both of you. Uh, I'm here with my wife. This is her first time competing ever, so we're both a nervous wreck. <laughs> I think I'm more nervous than she is. Um, but since you're competing Sunday, and I was just wondering, uh, do you remember your very first time competing in Stephanie on stage? And what type of things went through your mind when you were at that curtain? They were calling you out. What, what were you doing to prepare? That, that's a great question because the best thing you can do is get all the negativity out of your head. Because I never forget one time I competed in a contest called the Mystic Eastern America. And I was very nervous about slipping and falling. I had that negative thought on my head what if, what if? I remember when I stayed to pose and I slipped. People were laughing. So I decided to block my mind. I continued the posing routine that I received an applause. Best thing you can do when you compete for the first time and never been on stage, just save yourself, hide your ventilation, relax, and just know your posing routine, and just get on stage and just take your time going through it. Don't anticipate ahead of time, save yourself. Uh, wish I put my legs to lighting about the oil, but just forget about it because it's, it's quite an experience. Do better than you expect it. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
the first time I ever stood on stage, I competed in the Open Richmond, New Jersey Perfect Competition. I came 20 seconds late. Right then, when I went on to stage, open, I received that instant gratification. Last both going on, people taking pictures. I felt that heat. Of course, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be nervous, scared to death. But once you're on that stage, after about 30 seconds, you break the ice. Like public speaking, it's the more feel of life. When I first time to speak on stage, I was so nervous about what to say. But all the time, you get to know your body. So just relax. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a hand when you come on stage. I'm just sure I'm just looking for you. You'll be great. And thank you for coming. You will be inspired. I, I remember my first contest. It was a open novice contest wow. in Mayus, Pennsylvania. I think it was like 1960. And uh, there were there were 50 guys in the contest, and we were allowed four poses, front, back, side, and optional. So that was no problem posing when you went to do the back. I was pumping up backstage, and in those days, what they had this was the AAU where it started out. And in those days, there would be weightlifting all day long, and then at night, after the heavyweights got finished, yep. it was crowded by then. Everybody came to see the heavyweights in the bodybuilding show. After that was over, they strung up the curtain on the basketball hoop and put the flashlight up there at the bottom, so you know, the top, so you could see it. And we're back there pumping up for that. And I was pumping up, and this, this guy's watching me, and he comes over to me, and it's Bob Hoffman. Bob Hoffman is the father of American weightlifting, and he says to me, he says, Young man, if I had a physique like yours, I'd walk around with my shirt off all the time. And I said, wow. And at that point, I said, wow, I must, I must have a future in this. Right then, I knew. And that was it for me. Now, Joe Weiner never told me stuff like this. He said, Oh, Frank, you're about to get bigger. Hey, let's get bigger. Of course. That's all he ever told me. Get bigger. That wasn't it for me. That was the wrong thing to tell me. You can, I tried it a couple of times. It never worked. I just looked blocky when I got bigger. Now here we have, we're finishing out, so one or two more questions. Uh, hey, Louie, I want to thank you for an amazing show. And uh, I saw pumping iron when I was 15, and you've been an inspiration to probably everyone in this room. So I just wanted to ask you, what was your split routine when you were uh, training for the Olympia kind of routine? Yeah. Your split routine training for the O. Uh, well, my split routine, the last four or five weeks, I tried to train body pop, body pop three times a week. Back in those days, we didn't do much cardio, so the more time you spend in the gym, more time you spend calories. I, I like to do body pop multiple times, two times a week, seven times, three times a week. I was doing like chest and back, the next day two shoulders and arms. Then Wednesday, check the back, but then on Sunday, I would rest. And, and basically, I would say uh, no more than 12 sets of body parts, 8 to 10 reps. That was my routine back then. It worked. Yeah, it worked. There's a saying that goes, everything works if you let it. I think Meepo said that in one of the movies. <laughs> but it's true, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not so much what you do, it's how you do it and your regularity. I'm going to tell, tell you a story. Uh, you probably appreciate this. In Pumping Iron. They had to miss the universe and miss Olympia. And this is in South Africa. So Friday night, and I remember we all got dressed and we went to see the competition. Honor wasn't really playing though. So I'm saying to myself, this is Mr. Universe. Is the next morning to be judged for the Miss Olympia. And I, I, I thought maybe maybe something happened to them. The next morning, I remember I was on the buffet and getting my armor. I said to Arnold, did you go to the contest last night? He says, No. I said, he said I was posing all night. 
I said, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he was a son of a bitch. I was so upset because he got to check one about it just shows you that the competitors, they compete, they should have a good time. What about doing the homework? I never forgot that because, like Brian mentioned earlier, posing is huge. It's not about just standing there posing and flexing, but enhancing the definition. Especially if you're dieting before the competition, you spend time on your posing, they get the chef water out. That's the lesson you need to learn. Posing is one of the four forms of exercise. Uh, we break it down into WASP weight training, aerobics, stretching, and posing. So posing is something, that's what the conscious is all about. It actually, it's a form of isometric exercise. You, you hit the shot and you hold it, and you hold it with control without shaking, and you bring everything out and learning to tense all the muscles at the same time. It actually gets to the point where you can tense all your muscles, yet be relaxed. It, doesn't, it sounds like a paradox, and it is, but that's what seems to happen. And so, you know, posing is really everything right before the show, and actually photography is what I use to see what kind of shape I was in. And, you know, I found that no, not many other people, nobody was doing that. Okay. Taking time to give you an awareness of what you look like is what you're going to be judging. In the back here, there you go. You know, uh, <clears throat> my name is Luis Aracena. I know Lou from Coltian. Um, thank you, Lou, for this great contest. Um, I have to ask if I'm saying I, I know. What are we missing from the golden era that we don't have? Um, with that said, is bodybuilding better than before? Are we missing anything from the golden era? Is bodybuilding better before or not? We're making what you call camaraderie. Because uh, in the days when you train, back then, like Frank and I go to the gym, we wear tank top and wear shorts and work out and respect each other. Today, when I see pro bodybuilders, so many bodybuilders cover themselves. They're all about training your muscles because they're hiding themselves. And there's no more camaraderie because in the old days, like Frank said, also, so really like we win. The best man wins. You work out together, eat together, have fun, you lay on the beach. But today it's like, I don't know who, who, who talks to who. It's a shame because the money, the price has accelerated. That's why I want to bring back that time bottom. Like we did with this weekend. Everybody's having a good time. The best person wins. Men win, it doesn't matter. Go about camaraderie. That's what makes the sport. That's what makes the love of the sport. It's not about hiding for the challenge you have. I can't stand when I see guys come with headphones, baseball hats, and they were long sleeve shirts and sweatpants, and they were sunglasses training along the corner. I mean, they broke personality. It's a shame. We need to bring that back. When the 70s wasn't like that, you could walk up the gym, you could almost see Mike Cash and see Dane, you see Arnold, you see Mike, those great because you, you, you thrive on that. It's like a high. You, you, you get that feedback. When you see that, you get motivated yourself. And you had more rivalries back then. There was more him against him and who's going to yeah. win against him. Today, you don't seem to have that. Yeah. You know, there's. Each era had Lou versus Arnold and Frank versus Franco and all these people. And you say, who's going to win between these guys? It doesn't seem to have the same atmosphere that it had before. You know, that was that when you were around, this kind of atmosphere, you're training even harder. You get motivated. But this is not football. This is a bodybuilding. Only one person from third, second, and third is the best person wins. Like if Mike and I compete, and if I'm off, he beats me, he has the advantage because he's in better shape. Vice versa. That's what it comes down to. And it's all about that individuality. My question is, why is it that every generation says, and they look back and they say, oh, we're only like it used to be. It was so great in the good old days. That's what they said when I was in the good old days. They were saying that the guys before us, that, 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 that legendary era that all passed away by now. It was, And, you know, I think people 
older people were nicer than them. I think they're more civil, had better manners. These people, when I moved to California, that helped me out. This generation that is just about all gone now. Joe Gold, Zabo, Artie Zeller, Armin Tanny, all those guys. George Eiferman, some of the best, nicest people you'll ever run across. You don't find so much of that around nowadays. You know, plus everybody's not in the same place. Like we came to California because it was the place to be. You had to be where it was going on. Now it's all over. Southern California isn't really the mecca it used to be. You remember that time Artie Dell did a photo shoot? The month of uh, power, a month of build, they built like a, a 12 yellow page thread of all the guys training together, maybe like guys like you, Wayne, who go to the water fountain, shot a few poses with Otto and Dane and Otto and Franco, watching you go through the posing, both Jim, helping each other. We'd have posing clinics. Yes. We'd get together, me, Arnold, and Frank, have posing clinics. I remember one time we were in uh, some point in. In England, I think it was London or someplace, and Franco says to me, it was like the afternoon, we had some free time. He says, We go to Centrum? You go to town in Centrum? Yeah. I said, No, we're going to stay here and, and pose. <laughs> so we did. We practiced posing because we had an exhibition that guy, instead of going into the center of town and you know, having fun. Because that, you know, that was the yeah. job. And I think the society we live in now is instant gratification. So everybody wants what they want really fast. This is obviously not a quick building sport. So can you, I mean, you've talked about that a little bit more, but I'd really like to explain to young people that this really is not something that's going to happen quickly. Well, that's the mark of a young person. Instant gratification is the mark of a child. It's a child. That's what children want. They want it now. And so if you're like that, I'd say grow up. Yeah, you heard what these guys talk about. Louis took 20, 20 seconds or something. What was it? Frankie took 20. 20 took 20 seconds in a contest. I never took 20 seconds. You took 20 seconds. What place did you take, Frank? I made 20 seconds place. That was my first competition. At 200 and how much? Oh, no. I've been talking about maybe 220. I was like, just turned 19. Over New Jersey, first 20 seconds. I came home, I told my father, and never come back to third place again. But I remember the first time stepping on that stage, 20 seconds place. I was proud because I had the guts to go on stage and compete. It was wonderful. You know, that reminds me of my first big show. You know, those things are important for your motivation. Yeah. My first big show was, I think my second contest was Mr. Pennsylvania. And I just come off that great compliment for Bob Hoffman, so I go in this contest. And everybody in there is a weightlifter but me. And in those days, the way they scored you was they gave you points for athletic ability. And I had a letter saying I was a championship archer, which I was at the time. I did that a lot. I wasn't a weightlifter. But since I wasn't a weightlifter, I missed out on 10 points of scoring, which means I was last. I was 13 out of 13. Whereas if I would have got those points, I would have been about fifth. But that was motivation for me. After that, I switched to IFBB. That's when I first started going to IFBB contest. I think it was 1963. It wasn't even that well organized. It was Mr. Tri-State. Uh, they didn't even have a, a, a Mr. Pennsylvania. Now. They had a, okay. I had to go in open Massachusetts. Exactly. That, yeah. That's why the lesson for all of you today competing, just have fun. Best shape, 99, 95, have fun. Because fast forward 20, 30 years from now, you're not going to look like the way you look today. Appreciate that you have because if I go back, the only thing I regret 
I wish I had one more picture taken by Alan Gallo because it's yeah. an images and then I would read other pictures. I'm not going to keep the for that. I never think at one time I got a friend of mine's house after I took him from the mattress and left him up the mattress and he said, take his shirt off, show my kid time your book. I'm kind of really hesitant because I didn't want to just impose his shirt to his kid. Louis never going to look like this again. I said, okay, I took my shirt off when I told. Now, I can't look like that 20 years ago, but I'm glad I did it because what you have, you have, enjoy it now. Don't think five, ten years from now. Enjoy it now. Well with it. Enjoy it. Have fun. Life is short. Don't live it once. And I had to add to that. Record the event with photos because it's like we said, this is it. This is it. You know, and you don't want to do it now. I know I was reluctant to take photos, but the thing is, I took a lot of photos. And now I have thousands of images. By Artie Zeller, by my wife, who's photographer, I have a ton of stuff. You know, at the time, I take those photos and I look at them and I say, oh my God, nothing special. Same old. Yeah. 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 I didn't see anything about it. I said, I got to get this back. I got this. Never satisfied. And now I look at them and I say, my God, how do I ever look like that? And it's different now. I mean, your perspective changes with age. You see things different. You know, real small people see, see everything as big. Real big people see everything as small. That's just the way it is. It's all your perspective. You're creating your own world. Everybody is. So make it the world you want to live in. We have another great IBD uh, world champion, Sean Gray. Please stand up. Give this guy a hand. We competed together. Great, great, great bodybuilder. Lou, I don't have a question. I just wanted to thank you for providing the, the personal touch that you're putting into the competition. Being able to have this Q&A with us is an amazing experience. I just wanted to thank you. Thank you. I hope you have a good time. Okay, I think... Uh, yeah, Franklin's had a good point. He said about giving back. We're giving back because, you know, at the time when you and I competed, like for example, and like, we, had, we didn't have the dietary needs, we didn't have the inspectors here and sitting on buses. But think about this. You're here, you're having a good time, you don't have to worry about finding a candy place, you don't have to worry about getting special meals. And going about make up that stage professional, everybody's having a good time and communication be short. And I remember back in those days when I won the Miss Universe, I had a compete in Geneva, Switzerland, the second one was in Italy. I'll never forget, I was 22, I needed to get some protein. I said to my father, I want to get some protein. My father walked, he was like 20 blocks, he could give me roast beef because in Italy they put so much salt on the food, I couldn't eat the tiny food because I was dieting. But 20 blocks gave me just roast beef. And those days, I would take my meat protein powder. What I would do, hold my nose and swallow the meat protein powder and put uh, honey in my mouth because I didn't have any good supplements to, to be able to uh, work out. It's a little different today, yeah. Yeah, it's so different today. <laughs> so this is beautiful to teach. And I would give anything about 12, 13, or 20 to attend a show like this. And, and, and God bless you all. Well, I want to thank you for coming. Thank Lou Perigno, Frank Zane. Frank for coming and taking part in this. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.